You're listening to the International Family Church Podcast. Our ministry philosophy can be summed up in one statement. It's not about building a great church. It's about building a great people. We do this through our regular weekend services, life groups that meet throughout the week, and by helping people connect to their God-given purpose. July is Family Month at International Family Church. This month, we're focused on giving you the tools to be successful in your families and marriages, as well as resources to help you live intentionally and with purpose as an individual. Each week, we're hosting Family Month groups, where you'll have the chance to explore each topic in depth with IFC's leaders right here at IFC. We have groups that focus on topics such as resolving conflict, building relationships with your children, parenting at every age, and even groups on preparing for marriage. Go to intlfamilychurch.com for group times and more information. And lastly, we're wrapping up Family Month on Sunday, July 28th with a panel discussion called You Asked For It, where you'll submit your questions about family and relationships, and our panel will discuss the most popular topics in our three services. Grab your smartphone and either open up the IFC app or go to intlfamilychurch.com to submit your questions today. Well, we are in the third week of Family Month, and this is a time every year that we set apart to teach on the family, to help enrich you and resource, to give you time to focus on the family, and to increase in in learning and just staying refreshed when it comes to family life. Uh, Three weeks ago, Pastor Josh kicked off Family Month with a great message. Last week, Jonathan and I preached on, ministered a message on uh, the four seasons of marriage. That was a lot of fun. We got through that. We still love each other. (laughs) And there have been workshops all week long, things for you to take advantage of so you can grow in your family relationships uh, as a family, but also extended as a church family, how to nourish those relationships and strengthen our friendships as well. Today, I want to talk to you about something that's very near and dear to my heart. We're going we're gonna to just have a family talk today. Is that okay? Good, because we're going to do it anyway. And uh, today, I want to talk to you something that's very dear to me, and I've entitled this message today, The Power of the Family Table the power of the family table. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you today. We thank you for your precious word that's able to change our lives. And Father, we just declare today that our ears open to what the Spirit would say to us today. Holy Spirit, thank you for leading me and guiding me into the perfect will of the Father. May I speak his heart today for these people. I thank you for using me. I thank you that we're not forgetful hearers of your word, but that we are doers of your word, Father, and that we enjoy the richness of all that you have for us in our lives here on this earth. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, as the days go by, our lives become busier and more complicated. Meaningful relationships don't just happen. They take time. They take thought and planning. They take prioritizing. We hear in pastoring and in counseling, we hear all the time, if there's anything I've heard from people over the past 38 years of this church, is people talk about how busy they are, how their lives are out of control, how their relationships are suffering, how there's not enough time to do what's needed. We're running here, we're running there, we're hardly home. We get in the car, a car that's full of McDonald's bags and Chick-fil-A boxes and dried up French fries and Coke on the floor 
war. Everybody's running everywhere. Not even enough time to eat. This chaotic pace is self-destructed. And I feel like today, I really feel like today, that I'm waving a white flag standing at the end of the bridge, wanting you to slow down because the road is about to end on that kind of a lifestyle if you don't stop. See, the problem with the chaotic pace is that we have nobody to blame but ourselves because we set our pace and we set our schedules. So in all of this busyness, and yes, life is busy, but most people are living a step further than busy and living in chaos. And that's where it's dangerous. The Bible talks to us about the dangers of living an over-busy lifestyle and over-occupied, it, it says in the scripture, an over-occupied life that's full of everything but God and his word. It's a dangerous place to be, church. Our takeaway today is this, and this is what I want you to remember. The world has changed but the need for deeper, more meaningful relationships will never change. And it's time to return to the table. You see, one of the areas that has really suffered in this lifestyle is time at the table, the family meal. Yes, the world has changed. Of course it has changed. And culture has changed. We have now uh, two parent um, households that both parents are working. Everybody's busy. We have crazy shift work. People coming and going and passing each other in the night. We have crazy schedules for our kids because sometimes, I don't know why, but somehow parents today think more is better for their children. And it's dangerous. The problem is the more busy our kids are, the more disconnected we are from them and their lifestyles. We don't know who their friends are. We don't know the houses we send them to. And God help us that we send our kids to homes to spend the night and we don't even know the families. I told you we're having a family talk today. I fully understand times are different today than when I was a child. I was born in the mid-50s. So I didn't leave the house until the 70s. But from the time I was born till I was 18 years old and left for college, there was a family standard in, in my house, and that was everybody was at the table for dinner. Now, I realize, please, I realize things are different today. When I was growing up, everybody was working nine to five. It was predictable. Now we have all kinds of shift works and people are coming and going. My point for you, I want you to grasp a hold of today is I want you to get a new vision or awaken your vision on how important it is for you as families and for you as a church family to gather at the table and have a meal together. When I was growing up, I have two older sisters. There were five of us. Life was a little bit more predictable, but my mother and my father had a routine. We were at the table for dinner every night, and there was no excuse. Saturdays was kind of flexible because Saturdays was all about one thing in my house, and that was getting ready for Sunday, because Sunday was the big day. 
it was the big day. So we chose our clothes for church. My mother cooked. She was preparing. We did uh, activities, but most of the activities were close to home because it was in preparation for Sunday. Sunday, we would get up. My uncle would drive by our house. We would get in his car. We lived in Cambridge. He would take us to church. It was in Boston for Sunday school. When Sunday school was over, right, Nick? You were there with me. When Sunday school was over, my father was there. He took us home and my cousins home. We went home, and we were gathering things together because that's when we went to Nani's house. Nani and Nono's house was Sunday afternoon, my grandparents. It wasn't just us. It was the aunts and the uncles and all the cousins that went to my grandparents' home for the homemade raviolis and the bajal and the meatballs and, and the sausage and everything. And that was just the introductory course. It was everything. I mean, my grandparents were not happy unless you were bent over, unable to move because you ate too much and that they would think that was a success for them. But after that, the day wasn't over because we had to go back to church for the evening service. So we would go back to church at 7 o'clock for the evening service. That got over around, Nick, 8.30 or so, around 8.30. And then we would drive home from Boston to Cambridge on Mass Ave in Cambridge through Central Square. And there was one or two places we would stop. There was a Chinese restaurant called Joy Fong at the time, or there was a really good pizza place, Hi-Fi Pizza, that we really liked. And so me and my two sisters, we'd be in the back seat of the car, my parents would be in the front, and me and my sisters would be arguing, really fighting over, is it going to be Chinese or it's going to be pizza? And then my precious parents sat in that front seat till we got done just about killing each other over where we were going to go. And then the fight began on who was going to go in and get it. It's ridiculous. I know. It's totally ridiculous. But this was week after week after week. You know, I, I laugh a lot because people joke about Italian families because they say when you go to an Italian's home, it takes a half hour to get in the house because you got to hug and kiss everybody. And then when you're leaving, it takes another half hour to go because you got to hug and kiss everybody again. And not to do so was rude. I did that my whole life till I left for college. And I love it. I'm 64 years old, and I'm still talking about it. And I'm telling you about it because I want you to make memories with your family. You may say, well, Verna, I didn't, you know, have that kind of family like you did. And, uh, you know, I, I just didn't have that kind of family. Okay. You didn't have that kind of family. You don't have to live in what you didn't have. You can turn and face your future and determine what you do want to have and what you want your family to be. And if you don't know, God's word points a great picture on what family life should be. And that's what we're trying to do for you this month. Give you the tools and give you the teaching and all the helps. That's what life groups are for. If you go on the church website at intlfamilychurch.com, you'll see there on the top uh, a word that says resources. If you look under that resources, you'll see 
oh, I don't know want to exaggerate, but probably at least 50 teachings on resolving conflict in relationships and family and friendships, all the things to help you grow and become richer and deeper in your family life and in your life. You see, coming together at the table is a lost art, and we must get back to it. I'm waving the flag today telling you the bridge is out if you don't stop with your over-busy, over-occupied lifestyles. It's time for us all to come back to the table. You know, as you look through the Bible, you see the significance of the table in so many ways. The table was a place of offering. It was a place of sacrifice. It was a place of celebration. It was a place of prestige and equality. The table was a place of communion. And the table was a place where people gathered. In Luke chapter 22, verses 8 to 14, it says this. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and prepare the Passover meal for us so that we may eat it. They asked him, where do you want us to prepare it? He replied, when you have entered the city, a man carrying an earthen jar of water will meet you. Follow him into the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upstairs room furnished with carpet and dining couches. Prepare the meal there. They left and found it just as he told them. And they prepared the Passover, the Lord's Supper. And when the hour for the meal had come, Jesus reclined at the table and the apostles with him. You know, when I was looking up scriptures on the table, I came across this account and I read it and I meditated on it. And I thought to myself, you know, Jesus could have said, Meet, let's have a picnic on the mountain. He could have said, meet me in the synagogue. He could have said, let's get on the boat and go to the other side. He could have uh, chosen to have met any other place, but he chose to meet in a home at the table. I think that's significant. In Psalm 23, it says something else about the table. This is a precious psalm that you all should memorize. Let's take a look at this. In fact, let's read this together. The Lord is my shepherd to feed, to guide, and to shield me. I shall not want. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still and quiet waters. He refreshes and restores my soul, my life. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the sunless valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod to protect, your staff to guide, they comfort and console me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed and refreshed my head with oil. My cup 
overflows. I'm reading the rest of it. Surely goodness and mercy and unfailing love shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell forever throughout all my days in the house and the presence of the Lord. Isn't that a beautiful psalm? You see, it says that God has prepared a table for us, even in the presence of our enemies. And I want you to be aware of the fact today that that table that he has prepared is a table that is loaded with benefits for you and for me. See, even in the presence of our enemies, even in the worst day of your life, Maybe this week you, you heard a horrible doctor's report. Maybe this week you got a pink slip at work. Maybe this week you had a husband or a wife tell you, I don't love you anymore, I want a divorce. Maybe this week you had a child that ran away from home. Over and over and over the experiences of life come to us. But on this table, the table that he prepared for us in the presence of evil and in the presence of horrible things, on that table is everything we need to live a victorious life. If you need healing today, on that table is healing for you. Pull up your chair to the table that he has prepared for you. If you need finances today, on that table is provision for you. He's Jehovah Jireh. He's El Shaddai. Pull your chair up to the table and partake of the provision that he has for you. If you need peace today, pull your chair up to the table because he is the peace that passes all understanding. If you feel faithless today, pull your chair up to the table because this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith, everything you will ever need is on the table that he has prepared for you. The meal has been set, but nobody can eat it for you. Pull your chair up to the table and partake of everything your good, good father set on the table for you. That table, it's a place of refuge from our enemies. It's a place of refreshing. The problem is most families no longer eat meals together. Everyone is going in different directions. And if we are home at the same time, people are grabbing food and going off to their phones or their computers or in front of the TV, or they go off to a room and close the door and eat by themselves. I love this book called The Home Experience by Debbie Titus. And she said this in it. The table principle is a truth that transcends culture and time. Since the creation of the first table over 3,400 years ago, the table has been of primary importance to the family system. This principle stands true even when values shift and lifestyles change. Time spent at the table satisfies a cry of the human heart because a lovingly prepared table creates a place where eye-to-eye, face-to-face conversation happens. God created the human soul to be fulfilled by this kind of connection. When we come to the table together, miracles happen. Problems are solved. The presence of God dwells and individual relationships are established. The table is God's created place for redemption 
and connection between people to happen. You see, even research points to the family table. Research speaks of common factor that is undermining the well-being of our young people and our relationships. And that is that our lifestyles no longer make room for eating meals together regularly. Now, I know some of you are sitting there saying, that's just Verna today. She's talking about the family. Every time she gets the microphone, she's going to say something about the family. For 38 years, I've been listening to Verna talk about the family. Well, maybe some of you of a more intellectual uh, frame of mind, for you, I am going to go through some research here so that you can say it's just not Verna in the pulpit, but it's all these uh, experts all over the country, actually all over the world, that are finding there is nothing more important in the life of a child than the family table. Now, whether you have children or not, this message for you today because I want you to have room at your table for one more. For one more. So let's look at this. Even research points to the family table. The American Psychological Association published a study more than 15 years ago that particularly talked about the critical role of the family table that the family table plays in the lives of teenagers. These are the results. The study found that adjusted teens, those with better relationships with their peers, more academic motivation, and few, if any, problems with drugs and depression, ate dinner with their families an average of five days a week. Then it goes on to say, the National Center on Addiction and Substance Abuse at Columbia University have surveyed thousands of American teens and their parents over the past 16 years to identify factors that increase or decrease the likelihood of teen substance abuse. In their report entitled, The Importance of Family Dinner, researchers say we've learned that parents have the greatest influence on whether their teens will choose to use tobacco, alcohol, illegal, or legal drugs. And then their research goes on to say, I'm putting all this up there for you so you're not just, I'm going at you with both gates today. I'm going to your ear gate through my voice and your eye gate so you can see it. And their research goes on to say that the more often children have dinner with their parents, the less likely they are to smoke, drink, or use drugs. And that parental engagement fostered around the dinner table is one of the most potent tools to help parents raise healthy, drug-free children. Then they go on to say, when they polled the teens, now this is the teens themselves, this is what they found. Three quarters of the teens think that eating dinner together with their parents is important. Your teen might never tell you that, but this is what research says. 60% of those teens who have dinner with their parents less than five nights a week wish they could eat dinner with their parents more often. And the report goes on to say this, that the magic that happens at family dinners isn't the food on the table, but the conversation that happens around the table. 
And if that's not enough, let me give you one more from Harvard Medical School. Ann Fischel, a professor there, and the author of Home for Dinner, wrote an article in the Washington Post. And she said this. This is so profound. As a family therapist, I often have the impulse to tell families to go home and have dinner together rather than spend an hour with me. See, here are some of the results of her research. She said that dinnertime conversations for young children boost their vocabularies. Reading increases rare words in vocabulary. And what they mean by rare words are words that are beyond that child's normal age range. So reading increases their vocabulary 143 times. But dinnertime conversation increases rare words in their vocabulary a thousand words. See, for school-age children, regular mealtime is even more powerful predictor of high achievement scores, even over time spent in school, doing homework, sports, or art. Did you see that? That time around the table is more productive and more meaningful than school, homework, sports, or art. Research also shows that adolescents who ate family meals five to seven times a week were twice as likely to get A's in school as those who ate dinner with their families fewer than two times a week. And just one more. Similarly, other researchers have shown that teens who dine regularly with families also have a more positive view of the future compared to their peers who don't eat with their parents. And listen to this survey. They surveyed 99,462 children in 6th to 12th grade in 213 cities in 25 states across the US, and this is what they found in families who don't have family meals. The risk factor research has shown significant association between feelings of disconnection from family and school with detrimental adolescent health outcomes such as substance abuse, sexual risk behaviors, delinquency, or violence and disordered eating. What am I saying to you today, people? It's time to gather round the table. I'm not talking to you today about meal preparation. I'm not talking to you about cutting coupons and how to live in a budget. Though that's, you know, we can do that at another time. What I want to today is to kind of urge you on to take inventory of your family and your friendships and your relationships and ask yourself, am I spending time at the table? I want to give you a few rules for the table I came up for, with as I was preparing the lesson this week. Here's some rules for the table. You ready? Yeah. Number one, everyone does something. What does that mean? Get everybody involved. Someone sets the table. Someone prepares the food. Somebody clears the table. Somebody washes dishes. Somebody loads the dishwasher. Everybody does something. Do you know when children are little, what do they want to do? They always want to help. Then we tell them no because we think we can do it better. Then when they become in middle school, we're yelling at them because they don't do anything. 
But we've given them the message. We can do it better. I don't need your help. But rules for the table. Number one, everyone does something. Number two, device-free zone. All devices out of the room and watches off your wrist. Put them in another room. If you're on call at work or expecting an emergency call, you know you can set that ring to ring something familiar so you'll know it's the office. But the only sound at the table, even if it's 10 minutes of eating, is the sound of conversation. Device-free zone. So many distractions today. Number three, rules for the table. It's a turmoil-free table. This isn't the time to lecture. It's not the time to argue. It's not the time to scold or yell or try to prove a point. The table is a place of instruction, explanation, guidance, encouragement. It's where man is a taught and honor and respect are modeled at the table. Don't expect your children, guys, to respect their mother when they hear you yelling and talking to her in a negative way. You've modeled that for them. Moms, the same thing for you as well. Don't expect your daughters to grow up and love and respect their husbands if you disrespect them openly. You're modeling behavior. So the table has to be a turmoil-free table. Number four, you still with me? Rules for the table. Conversation is real. Listen with your heart. When your kids are pouring out their lives, don't say to them, you're five years old, you don't know what life's going to, wait until you're 50, then you're really going to deal. You know, you think you're so profound. (laughs) But listen with your heart. Respect their perspective. You may not think it's a big day that somebody at school tripped him, but to that kid, that's a huge thing. And they don't want to go back the next day. Listen with your heart. In all ages of your children, listen with your heart. Bring significance to the table. Make those people around the table feel important. The table should be a place where problems are solved and life is discussed. And number five, the table is a place of healing and connection. Many of life's greatest moments happen around the table. Words are spoken that bring healing. There's laughter, there's joy, there's wisdom, there's courage that's brought around the table. It's a place of healing and connection. Now let's be realistic. None of our homes at dinner time look like a Norman Rockwell painting. Okay, food's flying, kids are punching, this hitting, this spitting, this throwing fruit around. All of that's happening at the table. I remember one specific time, my daughter's in the front row, it just triggered this thought. But we were at the table eating. You know, my kids give me the greatest sermon illustrations. I'm so glad that they're secure. And uh, she was about four or five, and we were going through the phase, you know, they didn't eat things that they liked. So my husband was going through a phase of his own where, like, you're going to finish everything that's on that plate. Well, she didn't want the broccoli. And uh, he just told her, you're not leaving the table till you finish the broccoli. And so she was at the point of, you know, kids cry, and then they were at the... (laughs) 
that type of crying. Well, she was there. The shoulders were shaking. She's crying, crying, crying. Jay and I had left the table. We were long gone. I was in the kitchen cleaning up. Well, she got that last piece of broccoli down as fast as it went down. Projectile everywhere. That broccoli was everywhere. <laughs> Messes happen at the table. It's just part of life, people. It's not about being perfect. It's just about being real. Let's be realistic. It's not about the chicken you cook. It's not about the roast that you cook. It's not about what kind of dishes you have or the dishes that you don't have. It's about the conversation and connection that happens around the family table. I know many of you say, Verna, I, I don't have family in this country. I don't have a husband. I don't have children. What does this mean to me? Look around you. You have a family. You have a family that's from all over the world. You have a family here at IFC that there are people you're sitting next to this morning that are smiling on the outside, but they're dying on the inside because they're alone. They may have a family member, a spouse, that's in another country that they can't get to. They may have children that's in another country they can't get to. They may have a child that has run away from home. There's family all around you. What I want to ask you today is, do you have room at your table for one more? Is there room at your table for one more? Are you so caught up in you and what's going on in your life that you don't see there are hurting people all around you right here in this room? Do you know 50% of millennials are born without a mother or father in the home? It's the largest generation to this date that doesn't have both parents in the home. 57%. Do you have room at your table? for one more this just touches me when I say it because I grew up in a home where there was always room at the table it wasn't about the china it wasn't about the meal it was about the love and conversation and healing that happens around the table do you have room for one more at your table you say I don't have the money I don't know how to cook can you boil water, make a cup of tea, make a cookie, buy a cookie? It's not about that. It's not about your house being perfect and it being clean. Who's got a perfect house? Who's got a clean house? Can we just be real? People are hurting and we're hiding behind our excuses. Don't let your insecurity keep God from using you to bring healing and connection to people. Are you with me? Pastor's been talking to us since the beginning of the year. God gave this church the mandate to have the courage to connect to people outside these walls during the course of the week in the world that you live in. Today, I want to bring it back home. I want to ask you, do you have the courage to connect with the people you live in? Do you live in a silent house? where nobody's talking and nobody is interacting and the people are coming and going and you might hear a few grunts or whatever. Don't you want more than that? Don't you want fruitful, healthy relationships? Come to the table. Look, 
You may say, uh, my kids are older now. I can't start over. No, you can't start over. But grace, God's grace is with you now in the season that you find yourself in. And it may feel awkward at first. And maybe that first meal together is silent. But if you keep it up and do it what you, when you can, you'll find that conversation will happen. Maybe sometimes your meal together is on the baseball field, sitting on the bleachers before a game. Don't get me wrong. It's about together. It's about being together. Perhaps before we invite people to Jesus... Perhaps before we even invite people to church, maybe just perhaps we should invite people to our table and introduce Jesus to them at the table. Let's go back to our takeaway today. The world has changed, but the need for deeper, more meaningful relationships will never change. IFC, it's time to return to the table. Let's stand. Father, in Jesus' name, we give you praise and thanks, Father. Thank you for your word today. We hear you calling us. We hear you wooing us and drawing us to you. We love you, Father. We thank you for your grace upon our lives. Father, may we open our hearts to embrace those who are alone. May we have the love in our hearts to add another chair to the table. You always have room at your table. Your table is never full. May we make room at our table for those that need you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, maybe you're here today. Maybe it's your first time here. Maybe you've been here before, but you have never taken the step to partake of a very special gift that's on God's table for you. And that's the gift of salvation. Today, you have the opportunity to bring your chair to the table and say, Jesus, I receive your gift of salvation, the forgiveness of my sins, the assurance of heaven with you forever. Is there anybody here today that has never made that declaration or has never said that prayer? Anybody here today? You say, today is my day. I feel God wooing me and I'm going to come to the table and receive salvation. Anybody here today? Let's all pray this together then. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I receive you in my heart. I receive Jesus as the Son of God. Thank you, Jesus, for cleansing me of my sin, for washing me in your blood, and for giving me the assurance that heaven is my home, and eternity I will spend with you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and thank you for your gift of salvation in Jesus' name. Amen, everybody. God bless you. Thanks for listening. 
To stay connected, find out our service times or how you can get involved, please visit intlfamilychurch.com for more information. Our mission at International Family Church is to help you know God for yourself, to find freedom in your life, to discover your God-given purpose, and help you make a difference in the lives of those around you. One of the easiest ways you can help us do that is simply by sharing this podcast and connecting with us online. You can do so by subscribing, leaving a review on iTunes, or sharing it with your friends on Facebook. Thanks again for listening.